Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you've got for us. I thank you for the words you've spoken to me, Father. I thank you for the words that you're going to speak to everyone here. Father, I thank you that you're continuously building into us be greater, greater, effective salt and light in this world, Father, that we have all the opportunities ahead of us to make Jesus famous, to share his love, to show God's goodness, Father, but also show the freedom and liberty in Christ, Father. I thank you that we are not bound to this world and the things of it, Father, that we live in heavenly realms, Father, that we live with you, seated next to you, Father. I thank you that the work that Jesus did is done, and we get to rest in that and be free. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. pastor texted me right after church last Sunday and asked if I could do today. So I came to his rescue. And he said, uh, preach whatever I want to preach on, or if I want to go to the next subject, I can do so. And I thought I would just go to the next subject, which is Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. Pastor is going through the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' like big introduction to everybody in preaching and such. And he's going over a, a lot of topics. And last week's was a really good one about murder begins in the heart, about hatred and anger and such. I get the fun one of adultery in the heart. I ain't shying away. But we're going we're gonna to talk about this, verses 27 through 30. And we're going to be hitting a couple of things that falls into counterculture with uh, today's society. And I'm all right with that. I'm big enough. And just so you know, in any of these topics, if the, if the world and the church ever agree on something, the church is always wrong. All right? That's just a quick little thing for you. The church and the world should not should not ever agree on anything because the world will always be against what God's word says, okay? That's just a preface. Take that. We can be good today. Actually, we could be good to go home right after ties. What Carrie said was amazing. I mean, right there. That was just perfect. The God that sees you. But we're not talking about that. Again, we're going to be talking about adultery in the heart. This is something that's very evident. You can look out your, your windows your neighborhood, you can look through businesses and such, you can look around what's outside today and you'll see this kind of uh, little snaking path to lust and adultery in the world. It's, it's very clear and very, very noticeable to find. But I want to read this. I want to start verse 27. We're going to read this through. It says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Okay, we're done. Let's pack up and go home. That's all you need to, that's all you need to hear. Do not commit adultery, right? Uh, well, let's keep reading. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That is very vivid. That is not what you expect a loving Savior to say, but a loving Savior needed to say it. I mean, that's that. Jesus is reminding them, Jesus is reminding the people of some old 
Old Covenant, Old Testament scriptures. And you can find those in Exodus 20, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 5.18. Both of those are found written as one of the Ten Commandments. Okay? It's in the Ten Commandments. Obviously, when God wrote the Ten Commandments, it hit the number top, it hit the top ten of items to put in there. It was a big deal, a big situation. Do not commit adultery. He was reminding them of something that is not new. No, no, not at all, but rather what was written down for man at Mount Sinai to Moses and the free Israelites out of Egypt. Back in those days, um, I mean, for the love, it was written down by God Almighty. There's a lot to be said about that. If God has to write it down for people, I think we should, we should focus and pay attention to that. But it's amazing that when God takes the time to write something down like that, we happen to uh, weasel in that little ridiculous question of, are you sure about that? Anytime God writes something down or says something, you'll find a Christian, are you sure about that? Like, I don't want to question what God said, but if you want to go ahead and do so, that's on you. I don't want to be standing next to you when you do it. But let's, let's keep going. You think that with the extreme measures, like what, we, what Jesus said to do with your eye and your hand, you think that with the extreme measures that Jesus uses here for sin avoidance, it would be a serious matter, right? It's almost as if God was really trying to paint the picture, to put it across of how far we should go to the depths of stopping sin. So if you look at verse 28, Jesus points out something that I want to focus on. And it says, uh, let me read it again for you. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right here, we're given the place where it starts. Okay. So in the Old Testament scriptures, it was just, do not commit adultery. Jesus reiterated that because he said, you have heard, it is said, it is written. You know, you have all those titles that Jesus says to remind you. And then he takes another step further. He starts going deeper into where the issues are, where the cause is, and what we should work on. We're given the place where it starts. Lust starts lust and adultery. They're, they're, they're the same thing, all right? They start in the heart. See, in the Old Testament, it was, do not commit, a, don't commit adultery. Right there was a great starting point for the people, okay? Just don't commit it. Jesus said it again, don't commit adultery, but he's going to the next level. Lust starts in the heart, okay? Lust does not start only when it manifests itself physically, okay? There is a point before that, all right? It's first found within the borders of your heart. The spirit of lust, the spirit of adultery, extends beyond just the physical, when we become lazy and we don't want to know that or realize that, that's, we've already given the spirit of lust and adultery a place to stay. If we just think it only happens after it manifests itself physically, we've given, him the pla we've given that spirit a place to start already. We, we're, we've already given him a foothold, it a foothold, whatever it is. The spirit is disgusting. Spirit of lust and adultery. We've already given it a place to start. Well, Jesus wants the people to understand that. He wants us to realize that. So not only do we have that order of don't commit adultery, but he also has given us the order and the direction of, okay, this is where it's starting. We can fight it here. We're going to combat it back here, back into the heart. 
So we start with the Old Testament scriptures, the reminder. These are people that know scripture. Shoot, I would say people we talk to about scripture probably knew it a lot better than most of the Christians I come across today. They studied the Torah and all that kind of stuff when they were young. All through, I can't remember what age they go to, but they studied scripture. So they knew what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't hidden from them, but that was a outward act rather than focus on the inward part. And Jesus wants us to focus on the inward part. He wants us to work there. But it was a starting problem. Sleeping around with family and with strangers and all that was rampant back then. And if you think about it, it's not too far off of today either. I, uh, this was last week before Pastor asked me about this. Um, one of the guys I, I listened to, he was talking about how there was a conversation, and this one woman said, I'm single, and the guy's like, okay, you're single, what does that mean? She's like, well, I'm single, I'm not in a serious relationship. He's like, okay, how many people do you sleep with? And she's like, well, right now I'm sleeping between three different guys, but I'm not in a committed relationship with them, but I'm single. I was like, if that's the definition of single, and that's of my generation, Holy goodness, could you imagine, like, everybody, that's just one person. How many people are there on the earth that possibly hold that same level of thought? That is disgusting. It's horrible. It is, it is so killing. Relationship killing. I mean, who knows if those other guys know about it and they think they're in a relationship with her. Inversely, that happens with guys, too. They think, well, I'm not in a dedicated relationship with somebody, but I can go sleep with five-plus other people, and I'm still single. It's, it's a big problem today. It still is. It's not just back in the Bible. It's today as well. So lust begins privately before it ever comes out publicly. And it does come out publicly. All dark things will come to light. That may seem like a grave warning to us, but that should also be viewed as that's a good thing. Lord, shine, shine your light on those dark areas of my life. Let them come to light. Let me live in the fullness of your glory and your light and your goodness. Father, let me be a beacon also for the people that happen to find themselves in the darkness. That should be a good thing when we think about it. A lot of people get, get fearful of it, but there's freedom there in the light. So it's almost, it almost would seem like in this tricky situation, there's no way to combat it or to safeguard yourself from it effectively. That's wrong. I know I, I, I have had conversations with people, and they think that just, it's, it's there. You can't really do much about it. You're power, powerless against it. You, you go on Facebook. You start scrolling. Oh, my goodness. It's horrible. The friends we, friend requests that I get randomly that pop up, I show Elizabeth, they are wild. And it's all just tactics and schemes of the enemy. But there are effective ways to combat it. There are. Christ would not say this kind of stuff unless there was the truth of that, right? Why would they tell us to do stuff? Why would God put something before us and say, do it if we couldn't do it? That would make no sense to the nature of God. So Elizabeth and I, we have a couple of close, dear friends of ours, and uh, they've lost their marriages to, to adultery. And it was, it's, it was truly some of the saddest and most heartbreaking thing to see. And uh, good friends of ours. One of them, I think, Elizabeth's known since they were babies. I mean, just, it was sad. And, I, and I've known both of their husbands. I've worked out with them. I've played music with them, stuff like that. Like, I, I, I know them. They were destroyed. Their covenant marriage relationships were destroyed.
by adultery. Christian wives, one of them's got kids. So not only does his wife get devastated by it, but the kids got devastated by it. Just, it, is, it is a terrible, terrible thing. So Christian wives got affected by it, Christian children. The, the husbands were Christians too. I've had conversations about God with them, good things about God. They were devastated by it, completely destroyed. Their vows of marriage before God were destroyed. That is, I even have family, my grandparents. My grandparents, I won't say which side and all that stuff, but my grandparents fell into adultery with another person that fell into adultery. So two marriages broke up and two adulterers came together. Then in my generation of my family, adultery took place multiple times throughout just my generation. I got multiple generations of my family where adultery come in and kill things. It is very, it's more common than you think, but it's such an embarrassing and hurtful thing. Nobody wants to talk about the greatest covenant designs that God has given us between one man and one woman to become the greatest example of covenant that we get to experience here on earth. And it gets destroyed by adultery. It, nobody wants to talk about it's terrible. If it starts in your heart and adultery goes beyond just the physical connectivity and of sex, where can it attach itself to? So I got these three areas that I found after thinking about it and kind of like looking through the good book and thinking about our friends and people I've known, my family and whatnot. Where are the three things? Oh, there are three areas. I didn't say where are the three, but there are three areas lust and adultery finds its roots in. All right. First one, adultery can be committed emotionally. Adultery can be committed spiritually and adultery can be committed mentally. See, if it goes just beyond the outward act, as Jesus was showing us in the scripture, verse 28, that starts in the heart, well, those are the three arenas that I have seen where adultery can attach itself to. Emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. So can I ask you these questions? Ready? Has anyone tied themselves to your emotional needs fulfilling them? Has anyone taken a hold of your heart? Has anyone intellectually stimulated your thoughts and passions? Is any of these people your spouse or person you've dedicated your relationship with? If not, adultery is knocking at your door. See, Elizabeth, she fulfills my emotional needs. She fulfills my spiritual needs. This is the person that God brought into covenant with me. She, uh, she stimulates my thoughts and passions. She's very encouraging. She listens when I have emotions and talk about them. She listens. I don't, I have like one tear for the year. That's my motto. I'm tough. <laughs> I'm in a dedicated relationship with my wife. And if I am ever in a position, or if you are ever in a position where that is not your spouse or somebody you've dedicated a relationship with to the purpose of marriage, adultery is, is creeping by. Because if there was ever a person, if there was ever a woman that took one of those positions that my wife was in, Boom, I've already found myself, whew, I've already found myself falling close to adultery and 
my emotional state, my spiritual state, or my mental state. Those are the three arenas adultery will, will attach itself to. The Hebrew word for adultery is kamad. I hope I'm saying that right. My, my, his, my linguisticals are not that great in other languages. I barely speak English great enough. But adultery in Hebrew is kamad. D-H-A-M-A-D. That's fine. If you have a strong concordance, that's number 2530. And the definition means to cover, to desire, to take pleasure in, to delight in. Listen, if you've ever dissected your heart, okay, if you dissect your heart, your friendships, your relationships before, if you've never done that, if you've never dissected these things, I suggest you do. Right there, right there a good first step, take verse 28 to heart. Dissecting your heart. Heart's also used in conjunction with heart. I don't know if I said that. This is a and tricky weed that finds its way in and its purpose its only and sole purpose is to kill the bond God has designed one man and one woman as one. Yeah, yeah, it belongs. So men and women deal with these things just the same. All right? This isn't one over the other. In my family, both men and women have committed adultery towards the other. Both hands. Not just one over the other. We people deal with And you want to be moving in grace when we find people because when adultery must find itself in 103 arenas, it's, like I said, it's very subtle, tricky, tricky weed. How many of you have gardens? Weeds just kind of pop up. And hit next to the stem of the, the plant trying to grow, or hidden underneath the or whatnot, or they, they just find themselves there. You have to be attentive. And what we do is God's people believe God's restoration, love, joy, and mercy, and such. Because, like I said in that same example, if we happen to give an idol, we should move in that same. I know it hurts at this point, it's terrible. Then we do what you just said. Who has your heart? What are you trying to build? Caught your heart, and who has caught your eye? Good question is that. Outside of Jesus, <laughs> I love you. Uh, you're my son. <laughs> Outside of Jesus, you should only be your spouse that has any of those positions. And you should be so first enveloped with Jesus in those positions that when the person comes that's supposed to take over in those, or not take over, but be added into it to make one, it's smooth, it's good, it's godly. Covenant vows and marriage take place. I've got that with my wife. 
So here's a secret, not a secret, simple. Here's a simple practice you can adopt. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth and I, every Sunday we have marriage meetings, or what I call spousal spanoodlings. Spousal spanoodlings. I'm not linguistical, I told you. We do that every Sunday. Every Sunday evening, we have our marriage meeting. We go over our week ahead with each other. We discuss how we're doing and our, our marriage duties to each other. Because there are marriage duties for each other that are supposed to be there. Marriage isn't what you just say, yep, I want you, and I sign a paper, and you just live in the house. No, there are marriage duties to each other. And so we, we ask each other, you know, are we, are we doing those? How's your week? Am I doing good and, and performing my duties? Am I being the, the proper husband? Am I being the proper wife? Am I, am I making you feel secure? Am I honoring you? We, we, go, we go over all that stuff. One question that, we, that happens before we end is, is there anything that I can do emotionally for you this week? I cannot understate how important that question is to have and how important it is to be honest with that question. Elizabeth's been honest with me. Sometimes, I, like during the week, I'm like in work mode, workflow. I'm thinking about doing work. Work tiring, come home, and it's like I try to find my rest. I try to relax, like forget about you know, the job I did and whatnot, or the continuing of the job tomorrow. Think about okay, I gotta make sure I'm making the income and all that kind of stuff. I got if I'm like preparing for a message and stuff like that. I can't just do all that and neglect my husbandry or fatherly duty to my wife and kids. And so when you're honest with the question, she gets to tell me, well. You can hug me. It's like, oh, dang. I thought I was doing good. But the honest answer is, what's that? My honest response should be, absolutely. I want to make sure that I'm the one that God plays to fulfill those. And somebody else, that the devil doesn't want to put somebody else in that position. Because that's where things will start happening. That's what starts happening. So we ask each other this question. For this, for this. Let's be honest. Listen, you ask each other that question. Sometimes, but it helps. It is a strong weed killer to the marriage garden. If you don't want to ask yourself these questions, if you don't want to dissect the areas in your life, take time with your other half and regroup each week. You literally can do what Jesus said. You got your eyes off your hand. There's the option. I don't want to do it. I'd rather take all these other steps. I'd rather dissect and ask myself the questions. But you do got the option. It's a little weird when I'm down. I just want to preface Jesus is not promoting self-reflection, okay? I've always had that conversation with like, Jesus is not promoting self-mutilation. But what he is doing, like I said, he's, pointing, he's painting a vivid picture of how serious of a matter this should be handled as. That we should almost go to those extents for sin avoidance because of the covenant-designed relationship that you're supposed to have by God, should be taken that seriously. Right? 
I hope you all agree with that. And I had this, uh, go to Mark chapter 4, verse 19. I want you to see something else that came up to me. The parable of the sower. This was an interesting one. People will be like, I don't know what this got to do with it, but I'll show you. Mark 4, 19. This verse popped up when I was working on this and happened to say the marriage garden. God brought this to my mind. And as we know, like that word, the Hebrew word kamad has that definition to desire. I want you I want to read this. Mark 4, 19. But the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. I thought that was very interesting that God brought that up to my mind. Because, you know, the definition of kamad, to desire, with it, and for with adultery, it's, I find it very interesting. Not only does it bring an attack on the, the, the covenant, the marriage, the relationship, the faithfulness, stuff, it also brings an attack on the word in your life. God was showing me that this was true for that also. When lust and adultery start creeping in and they start working and start taking root, it does attack the word being fruitful in your life. There are multiple ways this thing kills I just thought that was very interesting because, you know, we sow into our relationships with people. We have time and investment, right? You don't go into a relationship hoping it dies. You're in a relationship hoping for life and fruitfulness and just grand enjoyment and joy for life, right? But when lust and adultery start taking place, what does it? Kills the word being able to be fruitful. And the word of God says that. There's a lot of places in the Bible where it talks about marriage. We've got, there's an entire book, Songs of Solomon, on it. There's entire sections in the Proverbs that talk about it and such. There's a lot that the Word says good about marriage, right? And God designed it and gave us the example. So if this stuff creeps in, it starts killing that Word being active. It starts killing that fruitfulness of the Word in it. I just thought that was just crazy and amazing that, you know, we usually use this for tithes and offerings. But it does apply for marriage, too. I just think that's very interesting. It would seem that it doesn't only attack your heart and grow into external actions, but it also does attack the fruitful word. So it's a double whammy problem. It really is. There's, there's, there's a lot of facets to this that we don't, we don't happen to find until it's too late. Because <sighs> we, we, we become lazy with, with weeding out the garden. But it would seem by all this that... Uh, that this only, reply, like, only pertains to people in marriage. But if you read that whole section in Matthew ch chapter 5, it, if you look at it, nowhere does it state that it's only for marriage. So all you single people, it's for you too. It's relevant for all people. In relationships or not. You, single people don't get a pass on this also. And like I said, from what I said earlier about the, per the people that gave their own definition of singleness, it applies to them all the same. Listen, if Satan is trying to destroy covenant-designed relationships, a smart person would see how valuable it is to attack before the relationship even begins. That's, that just makes sense. If you want to hurt somebody, attack. If you want to have a good battle, attack-killing plan, you would attack before marriage even begins, right? I was 10 years old when porn was introduced to me. 10. That is a very, very young age 
for adultery and lust to start finding soil in. Ten years old. And I checked it up, and it's now down to eight years old for the average. Eight years old for that introduction. Holy goodness. Could you imagine like, the rewiring it does to how you view people and how you treat others? It is devastating. Eight years old. Scarlett's about to turn seven. That just kills my mind to think that eight-year-olds. It hurt me when I was 10. Go even younger. And uh, some of the stuff they're, they're pushing in like kindergartners and stuff now and whatnot. It's just an introduction to an even younger age. That's horrible. That's devastating. So as parents, we shouldn't be too surprised. But with that, we shouldn't become lazy. We've got to be more intentful on doing the proper thing to be to safeguarding our children, our families, doing the proper thing. If you're not doing that, uh, you're not doing your job. And you know what? It's not hard to, to, to not be surprised. It's not hard. The world's religion right now is sex. It is absolutely easy to see. You turn anything on. You go walking through stores. Last month was all about sex. Whether that's in the physical or if that falls into the gender roles and, uh, and, and gender identity. That's all, in, it's all in the same lump sum. And that's the world's religion right now. That's why I said if the world and church ever agree, we're wrong. So we got those early, uh, early uh, introductions. It's creating a longer breeding pool for sin to live. We've got to become more vigilant. So our eyes and ears are funnels to our heart. How else do things get to your heart? By things you look at, by things you listen to. And once it gets to your heart, it starts coming out. It comes out of your mouth. You know, those, uh, those funnels help shape our thoughts. And action takes place. That's just the truth of it. It, it, Jesus took it to a whole new depth of just from an outward act to, to now fight in the inward thoughts because he was bringing the new option. What does repent mean? Change the way you think. Think different. Change your thoughts. Jesus was bringing that because we have the availability to do so. We've got the power by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. We have been given a greater weapon for our aid, for our advantage to fight against these things, to keep the marriage vow strong, to keep the covenant relationship strong. That's what Jesus was bringing to the world. The better covenant, the greater power is now available to begin thinking different. Our hearts can be different from the world. Do you believe that? There's a greater help to fortify our mind and emotions with. You got the word, you got the Holy Spirit. Now it's up to you not to be lazy with it. That's the thing. That's what happens. Laziness. Weeds will overtake the garden. And we, we must never toy with sin or press its boundaries to discover how much we can get away with before we transgress. In the case of uh, adulterous lust, if your eye leads you astray, tear it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If you want to go that far. That's how serious we should be looking at this. That's how serious of a matter it is. I was doing a, a tree job for a gentleman. This was uh, 
two falls ago. And a uh, big, massive tree, we're talking. My boss is working, I'm just talking with him about stuff because he's got fun toys and quads and he's got this boat. So I'm just making conversation. And he's like, yeah, I'm about to, about to go up north. I'm going to spend a couple months up there. I was like, a couple months? Are you, are you, do you have a job? No, I'm retired. Is your wife going with you? I'm not married anymore. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, yep, we were married for over 40 years and she left me for another guy. I was like, that, could you imagine going that long? <laughs> over 40 years of marriage and she just leaves him for another guy. You don't just do that on the spot. Something has taken root and worked itself in, and thoughts had been think, thought upon, thinking it was thought upon, and then action took place. Thought precedes action. I felt so bad for that guy, because immediately when he said it, you could see his whole demeanor change. And it's like he was trying to do all these things, have all the, like try to do all these external things for fun and joy that he lost, that he had in his relationship with his wife. That dude was hurting, bad. I felt horrible for that. My instructors at Rama, they told us the story of a man who, who at his job constantly um, had a, two women flirt with him, make compliments to him, all that kind of stuff, talk with him and whatnot. This guy was in ministry and he was married. These two women constantly were pushing him with these things. One day he acted on it. One day he kissed one of them. Well, that was their trick. That was, that, was their, that was their intent the whole time was to get him to slip up. They knew he was a Christian. And they got him by kissing one of them. They immediately turned on him, destroyed his marriage, destroyed the ministry, and destroyed his employment. I don't know the guy's name. I don't want to know it because that's just, that's just that's horrible. I just know the story. It happens a lot. I mean, that happens a lot. I was working uh, at Dick's Sporting Goods, and uh, constantly over the radios, we all, we're all mic'd up, constantly over the radios, there were, there were women that would talk about me on the radio, talk about my physique and all that kind of stuff, and make inappropriate compliments all the time. That was hard to deal with. I was getting ready to marry Elizabeth. That was terrible. And they would do that in front of other people, not just over the radio. At Orkin, in the office, I'd go and turn in paperwork and stuff like that, and they would compliment me in my clothes and stuff and, and, and how it looked on me and whatnot in certain parts. These were married people. And, you know, there's that dangerous title of work spouse. Have you guys ever heard of that one? That is a dangerous, dangerous title. Right there, that is a venom. That's, it's a blatant venom in your faithful walking relationships. It got to the point where I'd start going to the office at Orkin when I knew everybody was on work or we had little drop plots. I would just shove everything in there, my paperwork and money. I'm like, if my money's off, bummer. I'll deal with it. Thank God I don't work there anymore. And now I work with a bunch of guys in trees. So if that were to happen, that'd be weird. And they all go to Barclays Church. So I think I'm covered. But work spouse. Tim works at the prison. Should be no work spouse. <laughs> He's safe. But it starts off as just joking, right? It starts off in just, oh, it's harmless joking, blah, 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 blah. But it will turn in and kill 
That's its sole purpose. That is the only way Satan designed that thing to work. That is, that is horrible. You know, there was a study conducted. It showed 12% of ministers, 12% of ministers commit adultery within the church body. In 2023, this year, a study showed that 36% of workers admitted to having, to having an affair with a coworker. Those are the ones that just admitted it. Think about that. The ones that just admitted it, that was 36%. 44% of people said they know of colleagues involved in affairs. That is it's sad. It shouldn't even be 1%. But thought precedes action, good and bad. Proverbs 4, chapter 20. Go to Proverbs chapter 4. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. I want to read this out for you. Verse 20 through 27. It's a chunk, so I'm going to read it out for you. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart and your thoughts. Heart and thoughts are the same. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Consider carefully the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Flip on over there. 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 10, 3 and 5. It says, For although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way, since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You, like I said, have the great weapon and advantage of the word of God and of the help of the Holy Spirit. You need to take great advantage of that. Use those weapons, the word of God, right there in your hand. And the help of the Holy Spirit when you don't have the Bible in your hand. And guess what? They both work together and they both work separately together. You got one, you got the both. Use the word of God. Use the power of the Holy Spirit for your advantage. Listen, God... God will not change his whole nature to accommodate your sin. But God, in his whole nature, is about getting you free from sin. He doesn't want you there. You reach out and you ask. If you, once you've dissected yourself, once you've answered those questions, once you've checked yourself emotionally, spiritually, mentally, to help weed out the lust and adultery that's trying to come in, it happens to everybody. Why, why would God leave you out of the, of, I mean, why would Satan leave you out from trying to attack you? If you call yourself a Christian, Satan wants to attack you. Right? Well, if Satan wants to attack, God wants to be able to, to defend. So if you call out and reach out to him, he will be there to help. And you know what? There are plenty of great people on staff at this church. There's plenty of great people who know the word of God to contact to help you. Like I said, 
We should be going to help in mercy, love, and joy that they're wanting to get rid of these things. If there's a marriage that you were at, a wedding, and you, and you were part of the people who said, you know, will you here Gav today help uphold and help do blah, 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 and you said, I will, and you're not doing that, I don't know if I would want you as my friend. I would want your help, especially if you said you were going to offer it, and I would love to be able to give you my help. That's what Christians are supposed to do, to help lift up and to help encourage, like Barnabas, one of the greatest, dude, one of the greatest encouragers ever. That's how we should be. I would love to help you fight the enemy. I would love to help you be able to find and to, to help hold on to that vow of covenant relationship. And don't mistake it as what's being said here this morning as, you know, you are to never look at anybody because that would be stupid because at some point I had to be able to look at Elizabeth and, 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 and you know, see her features and be attracted to her. Yeah, yeah, take both eyes. She took both eyes. <laughs> so don't be dumb into thinking that we're supposed to walk around the earth like this. Well, I mean, you should always be looking up at Christ. I'm going to turn that spiritual. But <laughs> eventually you got to look at somebody. But there is, with restraint, you are able to, with control, admire God's creation of attractiveness. There are beautiful women. There are handsome men. We're not ignorant of that. There are nice-looking trucks, and there are beautiful motorcycles. There is beauty in the world. We're supposed to enjoy beauty. But what we're not supposed to do is start coveting and twisting it. It's how you process it within your heart that will determine if you're faithful in the commands of God and faithful in your relationships. I saw my wife. She was beautiful. She's beautiful. And I was like, oh, I want it. I want her. We're about to hit 10 years of marriage. That's what I'm talking about. It's, 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 it's amazing. What was it? I can't remember who said it when I saw it. I think the average marriage in the world lasts two years now or something crazy. Just two years. Something small. That's horrible. Elizabeth and I, we plan on hitting 80 years. I'll be 101 and she'll be 100. And then after that, we'll die in our sleep peacefully. Or I said we go skydiving. One of the two. But we, that's our goal. That's our plan. But we have things in place to help us weed out these things that the, that the enemy wants to try to put in and to kill. This covenant bond and relationship we have with each other. Do you have something in place? And if you're single, are you putting things in place for those relationships? We were made to be for each other. When Adam was alone, God made him a woman. So I think God wants us to be with people, right? Like I said, we've got the whole books of Songs of Solomon for a purpose. And I think it's funny, too. Between last week and this week, pastor was talking about uh, murder in the heart, anger and hatred and such. And this week, we're talking about adultery and lust in the heart. I just think it's, it's, it's 
it's cool how Jesus is now working in, rather than just all the external things that are happening, but he's trying to help us dig into the internal parts, into the heart, into our mind, our thoughts. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the attitudes you need to be, this is powerful stuff. I hope, you, I hope you're taking this stuff in and you start using it for your advantage. Ultimately, you can't fight this in outwardly alone. There's work that you've got to do inwardly. It has to be dealt in, dealt with inwardly. First, where sin is conceived and developed. So people don't do what they first haven't imagined or fantasized. Right? This is why it's so, so important to, as Carrie mentioned, ties offerings, the quiet place, the secret place, to get into the word and to dig into this and be fulfilled by this. Not just filled full, but fulfilled by it. David and Solomon dealt with lust and adultery. Two powerful guys. Powerful dudes. Great examples. One of them, when he dealt with it, he had the husband killed and all that kind of stuff. It leads you into other paths and other situations. It just doesn't, just doesn't stop with adultery. It will lead into other areas and other, other places of sin. Solomon wrote a lot of good stuff. And then he ended up with like 700 plus women. That's too much. Too, too, that's too, no, that's bad. As bad as it is. We've got these recorded accounts, and, we, and, and it shows its, its danger and its damages. There's an entire section about Proverbs, like I said, that talks about the warnings. The smartest man in the world also decided to write about it. I think we should, we should pay attention to it then. Jesus talked about it, we should definitely pay attention to it. So, <clears throat> listen, and, I, and I've heard the, the little silly argument, too. Well, in the Old Testament, that person had multiple wives and, and, and this and such and whatnot. And yeah, a lot of that was to safeguard the person because there was things in place that there wasn't protection for people. Or there wasn't things available for them to continue living. Like, it was almost a death sentence for some people. And God was looking out for people's provisions. And he was looking out for their lives and such. But you also got to learn the difference between what's described and prescribed. You understand that? There's a lot of things described in the Bible. Not all of it's prescribed. I ha and I've heard those arguments from Christians. Shoot, I don't want to say one particular group out there, but they start with an M and they have multiple lives. <laughs> they're twisting scripture. What they're doing is they're killing the covenant marriage design. God designed people to become one in marriage. That's how it's supposed to be. That's where the fullness of experiencing his covenant of marriage was designed for us and should only be present and available there alone. I know that's what he wants for us. He's got all the examples. Just know this. If Jesus said it, if God wrote it, and the Holy Spirit led it, it's for us to do something. And he's given us the provision and the strength available to do it. He's given you everything, all the tools available. Don't buy into the culture saying relationships can be fluid and the rule of love and sex is ever-evolving. It's not. 
It's not how God intended it. It's not God's design. That's the enemy. So that will destroy the joy God designed for covenant relationships. I want you all to have joy. God wants you to have joy in your relationships. So with that, I conclude. Don't commit adultery. I'm just going to repeat what the good dude said. Jesus said, don't commit adultery. Be faithful in heart with the opposite sex. You have all the help and strength available to do so. That is that little section. Chuck. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Thoughts become imaginations. If you don't control your thoughts, take every thought captive. Otherwise, it'll become an imagination. What's that? You'll begin to fantasize. If it comes to, once you begin to fantasize, then there's a stronghold, which is what? An action. Take the thought captive. That's the victory that's uh, easiest to get, all right? before it becomes anything else. All right, so prayer team, why don't you come on up? If you're here this morning, and I don't want anybody to move yet, and you're dealing with uh, what the message was about today, um, whether it's thoughts, whether it's imaginations, or if it's strongholds, we want to pray with you. Um, but we'll let you...